indie game business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. And thank you for joining us today on this legal session. All of it. I, we have no doubt that all of you have lots of questions about legal challenge in the gaming industry. And we're there to um, help you with it. So first, um, let's introduce ourselves. Uh, Paul, do you want to start? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, hi, everyone. So my name is Paul Lanois. I am a director at the law firm Fisher. And I advise uh, primarily in the area of uh, privacy, technology, uh, uh, and cybersecurity law. And my name is Laura Burton. I'm a partner at law firm Phil Fisher as well. So we are a European law firm, which you may hear from our accent. Um, Paul and I happen to be French, but um, we are also uh, English qualified and, and Paul is also US qualified. So don't worry, we're not um, just European lawyers. Uh, and I'm a specialist in, in tech and digital regulation and focusing on digital industry, amongst which the gaming industry. So we um, we know that we only have 15 minutes and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of topics to talk about. So we expect that amongst all of you, there may be developers, publishers, distributors, retailers, manufacturers, uh, digital platforms, um, and quite a lot of different uh, audience. So what we're going to try to do is make it as broad as possible, but bring you newer topics rather than go back to the basics of what you know. So we're really going to focus on the future of uh, gaming in from a legal standpoint, rather than looking at the issues that all of you already know about. Okay, I'll start sharing the presentation. And full screen. So as you can see, we have quite an ambitious uh, agenda. <laughs> There's just there was a lot a lot, a lot to say. Um, so we'll try to cover, uh, you know, privacy, and we're not going to go uh, deep into, you know, what the GDPR is. We expect that you all know about it, but uh, there are a few things that we've seen recently that we think you should know about. We will uh, have a look at digital regulation from Europe, uh, which is at the moment uh, the most active area of regulation, new regulation that affects the gaming industry. Look, of course, uh, loot boxes, Peggy ratings, uh, VR specific issues, the resale of digital content and consumer protection. So there's quite a lot to say and we have to keep it brief, but it's really the purpose of this is really to give you an overview of what you should pay attention to. It's really just to reduce the unknown unknowns um, rather than for you to, to know everything in, in detail. But of course, feel free to ask us at any time later or during the presentation if you have any question. And if we don't have time to uh, deal with it uh, on today's talk, then we'd be happy to take it offline. Um, so I think first of all, just to, to recap a little bit, um, a lot of the, the gaming industry is, is uh, 
global, uh, meaning that even though games may emanate from one continent of one country, um, they can be played usually on various um, platforms and all around the world. The problem is that uh, regulation usually is done on a country per country basis, not even on a um, territory. And for some places like Europe or uh, the US, despite the fact that there is uh, there are federal laws at US level, um, there are also uh, state laws. And the same thing for the European Union. Although we do have European law, a lot of its implementation, in addition to national law, will be done at the country level. And this is, it makes it very, very difficult um, to basically to comply with all of this legislation. So, Paul, what's happening at the moment in the world? Thanks, Laura. Um, well, as, as, we, as we all know, we are living in a pandemic situation, and this means that uh, there has been a strong increase as well in in terms of uh, video game usage uh, around the world. Uh, uh, there was a survey, for example, by Verizon um, uh, recently, which showed that uh, video game usage in the US went up by seventy five percent during the quarantine. And then uh, Unity Technologies as well. Uh, uh, just a, a few weeks ago, they released another survey, and they found that there was an increase in. 46% in the daily active users of desktop games and 17% increase in mobile gaming this year. And the reason why I'm bringing up all these figures is that, well, we all know that uh, because people are confined, people are staying in, uh, that there is a higher usage, um, more people are, are turning to video games as their source of entertainment. And this unfortunately also means that there is also more regulatory scrutiny because, well, um, Regulators are saying, are looking more into what's going on. Uh, and uh, for example, in 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 China, there has been a recent uh, wave as well, where uh, the uh, the Chinese regulators are checking as to uh, whether games have been uh, published on the uh, App Store in mainland China, whether those have been uh, uh, properly uh, uh, registered. Uh, and, uh, and and this appears in the slide here as well. There, there was also a recent. Um, uh, media report as well that uh, there's going to be a more name verification uh, which is being conducted in China simply because uh, uh, there, there are laws in China surrounding uh, video game usage. They want to limit uh, how long people spend online. Uh, going to the next, uh, going to the next slide, uh, you may be surprised. Well, why do we have the slide with uh, basketball, Call of Duty, Fortnite? Well. Uh, earlier this year, the, uh, there were some uh, there were some cases uh, surrounding those video games, and uh, just to give you a, a very short background about it, well, as games tend to become more and more realistic, we have uh, advanced graphics nowadays, uh, and uh, because you try to depict uh, how things are in real life, so you will have uh, basketball players who would be as realistic as as possible. You would have the depiction, for example, of the tattoos, or otherwise in Call of Duty, you want to reproduce the same um, vehicles which have been used in uh, in uh, modern conflicts uh, and so forth. And uh, there has been a lot of uh, uh, litigation as well concerning uh, uh, licensing topics. Uh, to what extent can you actually reproduce, uh, for example, tattoos on basketball players, or to what extent you can uh, reproduce vehicles in video games? Um, I'm not going to elaborate too much on that. Uh, there is a link anyway on uh, on, the, on the slide here for those who are interested to read more on the uh, on the topic. Um, going on to the next uh, slide. Oh, I think this is for you, Laura. Uh, 
<laughs> Did you want to add anything, Paul? Uh, no, not not at, not at this stage. Okay, so uh, let's dive in. Um, so I did promise we're not only going to talk about Europe. However, as it happens, a lot of the uh, regulation at the moment in the digital world is happening in Europe. And this is why you need to know about it. So all of you know about the impact the GDPR has had uh, on your business. And what we see now is a wave of new digital regulation emanating from Europe, which will have a similar impact. So again, um, although this is not meant to be Europe-centric, as it happens, uh, the US at the moment is not really uh, willing to, to um, legislate too much on digital by fear to, uh, of, of restricting business, I guess, or by lack of political will, I, I'm not sure. Um, there, there are other things to do, you know, as, as Paul mentioned, the more targeted uh, Chinese initiatives. But in terms of the regular digital, uh, the EU is really the one to watch. So just so that you understand, uh, the EU has uh, over the last few years promoted a European digital agenda. And uh, they have delivered. So it's not a willful agenda that has been uh, tentatively uh, fulfilled. It is actually a very serious uh, goals that have been set by the European Union and, and most of their initiatives have been followed up over the past 10 years. We have now an updated digital agenda and the European Union is taking it as seriously as for the past uh, 10 years. So some of the ones that you should be concerned about is, um, you know, of course, the, the privacy. And so, again, as I said, we're not going to go into what is the GDPR, but what are people still not getting and where are the um, key triggers for regulation and for, well, the key compliance issues now? Thanks, Lola, and I'm sure everyone heard about the uh, the GDPR, and uh, I'm not going to go back uh, in, into details as Lola mentioned. But then, one of the points I really wanted to uh, to emphasize on uh, is the and the reason why I want to emphasize on this point is that even uh, earlier this week, when I've talked to some uh, some developers, uh, uh, I think there's still a lot of misunderstanding on the concept of personal data uh, because a, a lot of uh, game developers they would assume that uh, we are not collecting any names, we're not collecting any uh, addre uh, physical addresses, and therefore the argument is to say, well, we're not collecting any personal data, so the, uh, the GDPR and other uh, data protection laws don't apply to us. And uh, if, if, if they're talking about a single player game, then of course uh, that, um, that is likely true. But then uh, in, in many cases as well, uh, we would have games which have an online connection, uh, there would be a user account and so forth. And in, in those cases, it's, it's, it's not really true that uh, no personal data is collected because uh, the GDPR clearly states that as long as you are collecting any information which relates directly or indirectly to an individual, that, that is personal data. And uh, the GDPR expressly includes as well uh, IP addresses, online identifiers and so forth. So even if you have, uh, for example, a username which uh, which doesn't include any real world name so if, if i take a username like super secret squirrel 007 uh, you would say well wait a minute uh, super secret squirrel 007 doesn't have any real name i don't know who's behind that you know it's just a, 
uh, it's just a nickname that someone came up with. Uh, I have no way of saying that this super secret skill is this person in, in real life. Well, th th that may be true, but then the, the, the reality is that uh, under data protection laws, well, uh, you may, in addition to having super secret screw 07, are you collecting other information like uh, the IP address or any other information which may directly or indirectly tie you back to, to a person, even if you do not know who that person is. So do you have any tracking technologies? Do you have any cookies or, or, or whatever? If you have any of those, then uh, you would actually be collecting personal data uh, and uh, uh, you would have to be mindful of that. And in addition to having uh, account uh, account names. Maybe you have leaderboards. Maybe you have in-app purchases, DLCs, and so forth. And uh, in many of those cases, uh, this would mean that uh, uh, you would be uh, pro uh, probably collecting personal data under uh, data protection laws. And um, it's 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 not uncommon, for example, to see telemetry in relation to gameplay actions, uh, such as session start, stop times. Maybe you collect system information as well. For example, you want to know well what operating system is being used, uh, whether the video card type is AMD and video. Maybe you want to know whether the user is using DAVAX 11, DAVAX 12. Uh, maybe you would have in-game economics where you would try to collect information to know how to improve uh, the in-game economics. Do you uh, collect other statistics, for example, game settings uh, and so forth? Uh, in order to improve the, the gameplay experience or to uh, increase uh, how the AI performs. And in, in those cases, well, uh, the data protection laws would uh, apply. Uh, if I take the, the example which appears uh, on the slide, uh, it's now increasingly common as well to have online uh, multiplayer games to, uh, to include an anti-cheat uh, uh, an anti-cheat solution, and the anti-cheat solution would be to ensure that uh, users are not cheating. Maybe uh, users want to uh, to gain an advantage over other players by having, for example, wall hacks uh, so that they can see through walls. They can hear you coming from miles and miles away. Uh, maybe they want to have an auto-aim so that when they aim the gun, you shoot directly uh, and they don't have to exercise any skill in, in a shooting. Uh, and uh, those are just common examples of uh, what um, some hackers would do to, to, to cheat in a game. And of course, that ruins the whole uh, gaming experience for others because, well, uh, if you are playing a multiplayer game and within 10 seconds, you immediately are shot and you immediately die because someone is very skilled and can see through all and so forth, well, it's not really going to be an enjoyable experience for you. Uh, and uh, this means that many users would just uh, leave the game, uh, they will be unhappy, they would voice their discontent uh, on uh, discussion boards, uh, Discord, or whatever, and uh, this is overall bad. And so that's why a lot of game developers, they have uh, looked into uh, integrating anti-cheat solutions for online, uh, online games, and uh, this does raise, uh, uh, I would say, a certain uh, uh, data protection uh, uh, data protection concerns because, well, if you are, uh, even if you say that you don't have any information about the name, well, in order for the anti-cheat uh, solution to work, you are probably collecting uh, information such as the IP address, uh, hardware settings, uh, what uh, software processes are being run at the same time, to what extent are those software processes uh, interconnecting with uh, the game uh, or, or otherwise, uh, uh, to, to what extent do you have 
uh, known uh, software uh, uh, which are running at the same time and so forth. And uh, all of, and because you are collecting a lot of lots of uh, different types of data, uh, uh, there have been uh, examples uh, in, in, even from a commercial perspective. So even setting aside the uh, data protection laws, there have been examples where when a game developer has not uh, uh, fully disclosed what is going on, or otherwise if customers are uh, afraid about what's going on because they don't understand uh they don't understand what is going on and why this is being done uh there has been a lot there have been some instances where uh, there has been a, a, a big backlash against uh, certain games and uh the too much eternal is uh it's one of those examples yeah and i think the the key thing therefore is, is to to remember in-game data even if it's not personal if even if you don't see it as personal data is quite likely to be personal data and you have to comply with the GDPR, even if you're not intending to sell it. And you know the, the repercussions, as, as Paul was saying, they're not just in terms of getting a fine, but also in terms of PR. And these are the key things that we see at the moment, people forgetting. So most people are trying to comply and they're being quite good, but there's lots of things that they just think are not applicable to them when they are. So just be wary of that because there's a lot of um, activism, like personal data activists who are uh, likely to take cases up and um, you know publicize what they see as breaches. That's, that's a very good point. And uh, as you mentioned, Laura, the, one of the big concerns for, uh, for the gaming industry is not just, well, strict compliance with the law, it's also uh, uh, like like you mentioned, uh, the the PR it's it's the backlash which may come up if uh, people just don't understand what's going on, uh, and uh, generally when users don't understand what's going on, uh, they tend to fear the worst, and uh, that leads to a lot of uh, unrest, and it leads to uh, review bombing, it leads to uh, uh, yeah bad press generally. Yeah. Okay. So what about consent? What are we seeing at the moment that people are not doing? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, in in relation to uh, uh, in, in relation to to, to consent, uh, uh, we have uh, the GDPR, but then uh, there is also the uh, e-privacy directive, which applies in the European Union, and uh, uh, those uh, two pieces of legislation uh, regulate uh, the collection of uh, uh, or access to information stored on a uh, user's de uh, device. So, if you have any tracking technologies, uh, and not just cookies. Uh, this uh, this would uh, and this would mean that you would have to comply with uh, the GDPR and the e-privacy directive. For example, are you having any advertising? Do you have any analytics going on? Uh, do you collect and access data um, from from users' devices? And if that's the case, then uh, you are required under the law to provide users with. Uh, uh, with a notice, you have to provide them information as to what you're doing, and you need to obtain their prior consent before you can actually use uh, uh, tracking technologies. Uh, and uh, under the uh, under the GDPR, in order to obtain a valid consent, uh, the consent must be freely given, it needs to be specific, it needs to be informed and unambiguous. Uh, so this means that uh, the consent is to take place before any tracking technologies uh, uh, is being deployed. And uh, the reason why uh, this slide includes uh, certain uh, 
game screenshot is that uh, we, we wanted to sh to show as well that uh, uh, this this requirement is something which uh, more and more uh, game developers are being aware of. But then, uh, in in many cases, uh, there is still a lot of um, misunderstanding. I would say as to uh, as to as to what it's actually required. For example, in the on the first picture, uh, we have. Uh, a developer asking the users to provide a consent before advertisement can be uh, can be served, and uh, that's good. Uh, it gives the user the option to reject uh, the cookies to use the app uh, uh, without targeted advertising or without ads entirely. So that's that's good as well. There is a link to a privacy policy. That's good, uh, but then uh, there is no ref reference at all to any any tracking, and therefore this would. Uh, uh, not comply with uh, European data protection uh, data protection laws. Uh, if we look at the second picture, well, uh, we have the same issue. There is still no reference to tracking, and uh, the, the 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 bigger problem here is that uh, the user has no genuine choice because it's either I accept uh, or not, and uh, there is no uh, there is no no real choice uh, provided here. And if you look at the third picture, well. Uh, it's uh, the same. Uh, there is still no reference to tracking, and there is also no genuine choice here because, well, uh, I accept. And you, you could say that, well, there is very small, uh, just underneath the I accept, there is, uh, there, there is a link uh, if you don't really accept it. But then because it's uh, the, the font is extremely small uh, uh, and not the same size or the same visibility as the I accept button, uh, data protection regulators have actually uh, stated that uh, that would not uh, constitute any real choice under data protection laws, and so this uh, this this would not be uh, uh, th this would not be allowed. Uh, moving on to the uh, to, to the next slide, some of you may be wondering, well, why do we talk about the how the, the consent is being presented? You know, is it really that important? Because well, in the text of the GDPR, there is no uh, uh, th there is no requirement about size or font or whatever. And uh, that is true in the text of the GDPR. However, uh, data protection authorities, such as uh, the CNIL in France, they have actually uh, issued uh, uh, guidance in, in relation to how uh, consent should be uh, obtained. They have released, uh, and the, the what you see on the, uh, uh, on, on the slide deck is actually uh, something that I, that I a screenshot that I took from the, the, the French Data Protection Authority's guidance, where they actually go very much into detail as to what uh, they consider is a proper consent in mobile apps, uh, where they would talk about uh, the size of the buttons, they would talk about the placing, the types of links, and so forth. So it, it, it's really something which is uh, uh, very important to, to, to be mindful of because uh, uh, the Data protection authorities, they are looking more and more into uh, uh, practices which are being done uh, uh, online, in particular in relation to uh, mobile apps. Uh, okay. Moving on to the, oh, uh, very quickly, uh, children privacy is a topic which is uh, often overlooked. Uh, but then because we are dealing with video games, uh, it is, uh, uh, I would say, paramount to the industry to uh, uh, to consider children privacy because uh, in many in many cases even if uh, if if we take a game like angry birds uh, for example where you would say well uh, there have been studies showing that uh, the 
primary audience or, or, or of, of the game is actually young adults. Uh, so why do we have to consider children's privacy? Uh, and uh, the you, you have, uh, for example, in the US, the FTC, which has clearly stated that, well, uh, even if you, uh, even if a lot of users are adults for a specific uh, game, uh, the the design of a game, for example, if you use cartoonish characters and, and so forth, those would often be seen as well as uh, as means uh, which uh, which could mean that your game is actually also being targeted under under the law as targeted towards children, and there has been. A number of cases, uh, uh, which uh, which are shown here on the slide, where you would have uh, game developers, uh, uh, which have been fined by the US FTC because uh, uh, they, according to the FTC, they did not comply with uh, children privacy, uh, and and the fines can be quite important. We are talking about, uh, for example, in the case of uh, YouTube, it was a fine of 170 million, but then even for smaller app developers. Uh, 150,000 for Hyperbeard, and then there was a Swiss digital uh, uh, developer which also had uh, uh, been sanctioned by the FTC. Oh, so basically, watch out. And these are things that are happening now. So even for companies who felt quite comfortable that they were um, compliant. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the, the, the last two items on the screen, those were from last year, but the top two are actually quite recent. They are both from this year, so watch out. Definitely. Thanks, Paul. So let's look at beyond the privacy angle. Um, where, What is the, the European Union doing now that is impacting you in the gaming industry? So first of all, you may have heard about the hugely controversial European Copyright Directive that was passed a year ago, and that uh, it's a directive rather than a regulation. So that means that it has to be enacted by each member state uh, by May 2021. It's not applicable directly into national legislation in Europe. And that differs from the GDPR, which is a regulation and therefore is applicable directly, although member states can choose to add a few things. Um, that means that basically regulations uh, offer a lot more uh, cohesive um, means than the um, than, than directives, unfortunately but it makes directive easier to, to get through Parliament. So what does it do? It, it basically regulates copyright in the digital environment uh, and basically tries to give rights holders uh, a way to make money and to benefit from their online work, considering the uh, current issues. So as a lot of you may know, there has been in Europe the e-commerce directive and in the uh, US similar legislation that have afforded safe harbor to online intermediaries in relation to user-generated content and content posted on their websites that they were not responsible for. And this has been fantastic, has been a great growth environment for the internet, which has grown tremendously over the past 20 years. But what it means is now with the new business models that we have, um, whether um, all the big platforms, of course, YouTube is one of the biggest ones uh, that, that comes to mind, but there's lots of other um, online platforms that uh, allow the uploads of videos and music or even um, written text on the internet. Um, it basically has meant that big platforms 
although they benefit from uh, copyright infringement, they uh, do not have any responsibility for it beyond taking that content down as soon as they um, hear of it. So, uh, and that means that rights holders struggle to get paid for their work. So the European Copyright Directive is really aiming to bring up to date copyright legislation in the digital environment. So the way it affects you in gaming is that uh, games, of course, consist of various copyright works, uh, including you know, literary works, artistic work, musical work. So um, there's a couple of ways in which you may be affected. So if you are a platform streaming or if you are a, a copyright owner, uh, of a game. So you'd have, for example, uh, your work may be streamed by, you'd streamed online. And in a way it's great because you get advertising. On the other hand, you don't get paid for this use of your copyright. Um, a lot of the, the logos, screenshots of uh, the games may be published in different places, again, without getting uh, payment for this, uh, for this work. On the other hand, if you are a, an online content sharing service provider, um, you may be benefiting from all these uploads of videos of games, of videos of people playing, and uh, not paying license fees for these videos. So I think, again, the, the people who have to be concerned about and start looking into it a bit more uh, would be you know any company that provides streaming services gaming platforms social media um, any content recognition or filtering technology service providers as well as copyright owners and i think now we have about nine months before this legislation uh, comes into place so we won't have time as i said to go deeply into it but what we'd recommend is for you to have a look at um, look at the EU copyright directive and see how it's um, affecting you so we've put every time as we know we didn't have much time we've put additional reading that we suggest if you want to learn more about this the next um, new um, digital regulation that is important for you to know, especially, well, in both ways, it is in two ways, is um, the platform to business regulation. So the platform to business regulation uh, recognizes the fact that not all uh, business-to-business -business contracts are the same. It recognizes that online platforms have uh, a stronger bargaining power than the um, than the smaller business users. So, in order to basically re not quite reverse the balance, but make sure that smaller business users have more of a fair say in relation to their platform terms, the European um, Union has uh, issued this new platform to business regulation. So what it will do is, um, in the same way as you've had consumer legislation, this will be regulating online platforms and their business users regulation. So again, think about um, which online platform are selling, publishing your games, uh, which stores, online stores will be doing this, which social media platforms, which comparison tools, which marketplace. And this is aimed to uh, balance your rights. It will um, offer uh, the possibility for smaller game publishers to uh, 
fight unfair terms and unfair trading practices in platform to business regulation. And every uh, non-compliant terms will lead in these terms being null and void, in addition to having access to mediation and court system. So again, this is a regulation that's brand new and that will affect uh, you depending on you know which side of the uh, coin you are. So there's one thing that, of course, you need to know is that the only platforms that have to comply, it is a European legislation after all, are the platform that uh, provide uh, basically their services to business users established in the EU with the goal to uh, offer goods and services to consumers located in the EU. So I think in our global market, that means most major platforms. But again, make sure that you comply. If you do, then I think this is uh, a much needed legislation to make sure that we address uh, what has been over the past a slight difference of bargaining power between um, uh, game developers and publishers and the platforms that publish the games. Again, if you want to have a bit more information, please have a look at links and would be happy to, I think, circulate the presentation afterwards so you can have access to these. Okay, and the last one that, uh, again, we're not going to talk at length on, but it's good for it to be on your radar, is the Digital Services Act. So again, as part of the EU reform of the digital industry and digital framework, um, the European Commission is looking to upgrade liability and safety rules for online services well, for online service providers and online intermediaries. And a lot of it will impact on the gaming industry in relation to also um, user-generated content, basically social media. So the problem at the moment is, again, uh, similarly as for the European Copyright Act, the rules are outdated and simply do not fit the current models. And considering that there has been gaps, different countries in the EU have started taking action, whether it's Germany, France, in order to tackle these issues. The problem is that then we don't have a European single digital marketplace if um, all content is subject to different rules. So what the European Union is trying to do is really to ensure that the same rules apply within the EU so that it is easy for you to trade. The impact is going to be um, basically more responsibility for um, uh, online intermediaries and for uh, online service providers. So more responsibility that will be in relation to what they sell, what they do, what responsibility they have. So at the moment, we are in the middle of a public consultation. So it's really your time to speak up if you're interested in the topic. And the deadline is 8th of September. So you have just over a month uh, to be able to say what you think uh, matters and how it should be applied to the gaming industries. A lot of the key players, uh, whether the big industry players are slightly smaller, have replied and um, asked for a differentiated uh, liability regime depending on the industry. So again, I think it's a good time to um, participate. If you want to have a quick uh, cheat sheet to see what's included, uh, you'll see, you know, app stores, marketplace, social media. And again, when you think about social media, don't think only about 
the platforms that do only social media. Because of the convergence of gaming and social media, uh, a lot of games would be um, included in this. Again, and just to, to say a final word on uh, the Digital Services Act, a lot of what the Digital Services Act will try to do as well is to fight uh, the dissemination of uh, fake news and misinformation, as well as stopping the spread of illegal content. So it's something that's very, very difficult to do. Uh, because we have so much content generated every day. But again, and there is, of course, uh, a difference between uh, harmful content and illegal content. And it's interesting to see who should bear the responsibility for uh, monitoring, basically, the internet. But this is going to be one of the key issues that will impact the gaming industry. So one to definitely um, watch out for. Okay, out of EU-specific loot boxes, Paul, all yours. Thanks, Laura. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure everybody has heard about the topic of uh, loot boxes uh, and the controversy which was uh, uh, which was caused by by the topic. And uh, uh, there have been a number of uh, video games uh, which have been uh, under scrutiny from uh, European regulators. Uh, I have included here some uh, news reports about uh, some popular games uh, which uh, had to either change their practices or otherwise which were removed uh, from, uh, uh, from from stores in, in certain countries, in particular uh, the Netherlands and, uh, and Belgium, although there have been uh, some other cases uh, in other non-European countries as well, uh, um, South Korea and, and, and so forth. And uh, some of you may be wondering, well, why why are we talking about it now? Because uh, uh, the, the topic of loot box made a lot of noise in 2018, 2019, and um, not so much um, now. Uh, however, the topic has come up uh, many times again uh, under the veto of uh, uh, under the veto of the authorities. And if you look at the next slide, um, uh, th there have been, for example, uh, class actions which have been uh, uh, filed against. Uh, uh, Apple against Google as well uh, in, in the uh, in the US uh, uh, one month ago. Uh, so I guess we'll see how how this topic uh, goes. Uh, there has been as well uh, uh, a European report which was uh, published uh, recently. Uh, so it's a, a European report which was commissioned by the European Parliament and it looked into the topic of loot boxes and the uh, uh, the report found that. Uh, uh, the topic of loot boxes and generally how games are being monetized, uh, game design and so forth, they should, uh, according to the report, they should be uh, addressed at the European level and uh, they should be tackled from a consumer pro uh, protection approach, uh, according to the reports. Uh, and according to the report as well, uh, uh, the, uh, the those who, who drafted the report said that uh, uh, the European Commission should be taking the lead on this. Uh, so it's interesting. It, it's interesting to see uh, that uh, the topic is still being uh, actively considered. If you look at the next slide as well, in the in the United Kingdom, uh, there has been uh, recent uh, uh, discussions as well on the, the topic of loot boxes. Uh, th there has been a report from the House of Lords as well, which uh, found that uh, the top 
that the topic of uh, loot boxes is unaddressed under current uh, gambling laws, and the House of Lords uh, strongly urges uh, the UK government to uh, to take action and to 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 regulate. And uh, the the UK government, in response, to, uh, has said, well, uh, they are actively looking at the topic of uh, loot boxes, but they before they issue any before they take any action or before they issue any regulation or any legislation, they they actually want to carefully consider the topic. So they want to first uh, gather evidence, uh, talk to uh, the industry and so forth before they take any action. But then even though there is no immediate uh, action uh, which has been uh, uh, taken right now by the, by the, by the government, it, it shows that uh, this is something uh, which uh, everyone should keep on their radar because uh, uh, it's likely that uh, there will be action or or, or, or anything else which will be uh, taken by the government uh, in the in the next few months or maybe at the beginning of next year. Yeah, definitely one to keep on the radar. And there is a link uh, as well uh, on both slides actually if you want to find out more on the topic. Uh, Peggy yeah. ratings, uh, uh, Peggy rating as well. Uh, I'm going to be very brief here. Um, uh, there is a link if you need more information. And what I wanted to mention here was that uh, loot boxes as well has uh, uh, now its own category under PEGI ratings uh, uh, and uh, ESRB ratings in the US as well. Uh, so under the ESRB ratings, it would be classified under in-game purchases. And then for PEGI, it would be uh, listed as uh, in-game uh, purchases or paid random items. Uh, um, so yeah, now uh, games have to disclose uh, uh, whenever those games are being rated, they have to disclose whenever loot boxes are being uh, uh, used in game. Uh, moving on to the uh, to the next uh, uh, slide, that's for you, Laura. Thank you. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to have a quick look. We know that not everyone uh, listening is going to be interested in AR or VR, um, but there are some issues that we just thought would flag. Again, a lot of these issues are actually already issues in in traditional gaming, but they are going to be enhanced in AR and VR. So this is why we thought we'd flag them. So first of all, just to to bounce from the, you know, the PEGI rating and the age classification uh, slide that Paul was talking about, there is a possibility that, you know, AR and VR ratings may be higher um, than the 2D screen format uh, due to the immersive nature of the game. So again, one thing to, to consider at the time when we're looking at all of this is does the physical or real nature dimension of AR and VR uh, changes the, the age classification? Another one is really, again, it's the same thing for, for every game, but considering the physical aspects of uh, AR and VR, are there additional questions of liability for health and safety? So in some countries, they, these can't be excluded. So you can't just say in your terms conditions, we, uh, we will not be responsible for anything that happens to you when you play this game. Uh, it's not possible. So considering the risk has increased, it might be that you're looking for better insurance. But again, you can't just have a you know, your trick of putting it in your T's and C's. Another thing that uh, is applicable everywhere, but will be enhanced and heightened in AR and VR is what happens to um, disputes or crimes online. What is the applicable law? And again, because the possibility of harassment will be one more likely 
in VR when it's more immersive, but also more real, therefore potentially causing more stress and loss. Um, virtual theft, what is actually, what happens to virtual goods? Um, what happens to virtual mugging? Who is responsible? So there are a few cases actually that have been um, dealt with already in different countries. Uh, in the UK, I think there was a an individual who hacked into Zynga and uh, transferred 400 billion of virtual poker chips. And I think the person who did this is now in prison. But again, a good question of who owns what? Is it real property? And uh, what law will apply if, uh, if it's relevant? And the last, it's not the last thing, but one of the last key issues to, to point out is going to be moderation and user-generated content. So I spoke about it on the previous slides, but again, um, in VR and AR, this is likely to be uh, heightened. And therefore, it might be that we require from, um, you know, the gaming companies more ownership responsibility and active moderation versus what is being done now this doesn't you know this actually is accompanied by other issues considering the the state of the law um but it's something that you have to think about how can we monitor it considering the potential harms that can be done and it goes back to you know a liability for health and safety so um and and then you know all the general uh, ip rights will be another question in, in VR. So think about it as not new issues, but enhanced issues. And uh, just to emphasize a point that you just raised as well is that uh, the, the issues which you have listed here, they're not specific to VR, right? They also apply to AR, and there has been yeah. a lot of litigation as well uh, in relation uh, to AR games. Uh, I'm not going to name uh, the, the game in question or the, or the developer, but then uh, I, I guess it's easy to guess which one I'm referring to, where the, uh, there has been a popular mobile game uh, which integrates AR, and uh, uh, because that game led uh, gamers to certain locations uh, where they could uh, they could capture a specific uh, virtual animal and so forth, uh, the, and uh, because the the location was uh, was not really a good one uh, from from uh, from a physical physical perspective, so. Uh, the, the location which was on the map was, for example, a, a real-life church or, or other private properties and so forth. Well, that has led to a number of, uh, of lawsuits and, and lots of litigation uh, because uh, uh, the, the owners of the property were not too happy, of course, uh, to see uh, uh, gamers flocking into those uh, properties, uh, uh, those private properties, uh, just to collect a virtual, mm. uh, a virtual animal. Uh, uh, so, so, be, so be careful of uh, be careful of uh, of health and safety, and be careful as well. Are you uh, are there any issues as well in relation to locations uh, that appear on the map? Maybe even the the map itself. Well, do you have the the right to use the map, or are you just taking a map uh, uh, online and so forth? Uh, there may be copyright issues as well surrounding that. Uh, and make sure you have, of course, uh, the authorization uh, uh, to tell users to go to certain locations or make sure it's a public uh, location otherwise. Yes, otherwise there'd be, you're right, um, trespass is quite a you know serious potentially uh, uh, issue depending on where you are. Um, so Paul, I think we have now four minutes left. So um, I think we'll be very brief on the next slide. And again, please feel free to, to reach out. This is just uh, raising issues, but um, Paul, on 
resale of digital content. Can we do that? Yeah, uh, maybe I'm going to frame it more generally uh, because now there has been a lot of focus on cloud services, subscription services, and so forth. And uh, uh, the uh, there have been lots of developments, lots of announcements uh, recently, uh, lots of companies which are entering into the space as well, and we're seeing lots of exciting opportunities, uh, new ways as well for uh, companies to uh, to promote their service, to reach out to uh, to users, and so forth. And this case, uh, which was uh, issued by the High Court of Paris, is 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 very interesting because basically the High Court of Paris said that uh, European consumers are legally free to resell digital games that they have bought uh, on a uh, digital platform uh, in, in the same way as they should be able to sell uh, uh, package physical games. Uh, so so it's, a, it's a very interesting development because uh, um, in, in the digital space, what happens is that when you buy a game, well, it's yours, it's tied to your account, and uh, there, is, uh, there is typically no way for you to resell it, but then this decision from the, uh, the the Paris High Court uh, says otherwise. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, why haven't we seen more impact about this decision? And the reason for that is that uh, this decision has been appealed, uh, and uh, therefore the, the the decision by the court has been suspended until the, uh, the appeal has been uh, concluded. So it's uh, I wanted to mention this case because it's really watch this space. Uh, there may be big changes uh, coming up. Uh, let's see what the uh, the Paris uh, Court of Appeal thinks about it. Uh, and maybe it might even be brought at the European level, I don't know. Yeah, watch the space. And I think just the last things to finish is really, again, it's back to the EU just because the European Union in general affords a lot more protection on consumers. And therefore, these are the standards in a way that you have to meet. And it's likely that if you meet the European standards in digital and consumer protection, you're doing quite well on a global basis. But the reminder was really that uh, whether it is for advertising, for in-app purchases, um, you know, whether it's online games, app-based games, there are rules that you need to comply. And at the moment, um, we see that this is not always happening. So it's just a reminder, and again, you'll see the slides that, you know, games advertised as free should not mislead consumers. Um, there shouldn't be extortions to children to buy items. Uh, consumers should be informed about when they're buying, how they're buying it. Um, th there's lots of very uh, clear rules. And at the moment, there is quite a lack of transparency about um, how games are being monetized. And a lot of the games are being advertised are free, but of course, nothing's free. So I think it's very important to recognize that um, you know, misleading commercial practices, whether we see them as such or not, are very strictly regulated and that uh, the gaming industry, although it has been um, for a while not on the, I was going to say the regulator's radar, it, it is now. Uh, it is very, very much now as the industry is growing, you know, exponentially every year and even before COVID, but especially in COVID. So again, um, pay attention about, you know, um, what happens when you do distance selling, can uh, consumers uh, return the goods if it's uh, packaged or boxed games? Uh, what can you do about if it's digital content? What are your 
rights and duties and also make sure that all advertisement complies with the advertising codes, uh, whether it's broadcast or non-broadcast. And I think, ta-da, uh, we've just arrived at 50 minutes. So uh, the last thing, so basically just to recap on the list of what we would like you to have on your radar is that one, um, privacy challenges, although most companies think that they're doing really well on GDPR side, as Paul showed, whether it's for children or just in general in-game data, it's not there yet. There's lots of European digital regulation that will affect the gaming industry. You have to look at it now because some of it is in fourth already and some of it um, is coming up over the next few months. Loot boxes, Peggy rating, um, although again, these are not new challenges, they are new positions, whether it's guidelines or legislation coming in that way. Um, VR issues, again, just something to think about. Uh, resale of digital content, watch the spells, because this would be a game changer for the industry, depending on what uh, you know the French Court of Appeal decides. And uh, the general health check on consumer protection, be careful, um, because they are, there is a lot of uh, legislation around that you need to be aware of. Paul, did I forget anything in the recap? Uh, no, I think you're, that's about right, yeah. Great. So Thank you all very much. So we do have questions, but at the same time, we've got limited you know, time. So let me see. Yeah, I thought there was a, there was a question uh, which says, given that we operate in a global market, what's the best way to proceed? And uh, I guess the, uh, that's the sort of reason why we focus a lot on the European regulations, right, during this, uh, this presentation, because uh, the best way to proceed would be, well, if you can, uh, comply with uh, the stricter standard, uh, then it means that you, you, you cover all your different uh, regions. Whereas if you just say, well, I just look at the law of one specific country, then that's good for your commercialization in that specific country. But then if you decide to expand and to reach out to other countries, that's when you would have to anyway uh, comply with uh, those different uh, those different regulations. So I guess if from the beginning you say, well, what is the stricter standard? Oh, let's just apply it uh, and we give consumers the benefit of uh, those stricter standards. Uh, then it's good commercially because you you give customers uh, something extra. And on top of it, you comply with uh, uh, the different laws and regulations. So what we're going to do at this point, uh, Paul and Laura are on mm -hmm. the Discord. And so I will take these questions and bounce them over there to the post-session chat room and they'll be around for a little bit to answer any further questions that you have um but you know there you go if you've got questions for them directly you can reach out to laura.burton at fieldfisher.com or paul dot i don't know how to do that paul. <laughs> and fieldfisher.com thank you both so much for taking time to do this it's always something that we do end up getting a lot of questions about you know even at my firm and i'm like i'm not an attorney that's not what i do um so it's, it's always good to get you know get you all coming in here and answering them directly from the teams thank you so much for having us um it's been a pleasure and a privilege so thank you very much and best of luck for the rest of the day appreciate it Y'all take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.